Um, hi, everybody. How's it going? Uh, why don't you guys uh, just wave to somebody, or if you're uh, joining us online, uh, text somebody that you haven't texted in a while. Um, and uh, in the meantime, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8. I did a, uh, I did a wedding yesterday, <clears throat> and um, it's great. I hadn't done a wedding in, in, in a while. It was, uh, it was a really cool wedding because um, the entire wedding party was kids. Um, it was a uh, second marriage um, with, for, for uh, at least one of the, the couple, and um, then um, so their kids were a part of it, but other there was wider family, so they just decided to have everybody in the party was under the age of 16, um, and that was pretty cool. Uh, so there was a lot of energy to it, and they wrote their own vows, and after the ceremony, there was like immediately like this appetizer spread that was right there with like meatballs, deviled eggs, um, uh, chicken nuggets and crab dip, which it was like, this is the kind of wedding I want to be at. It was also the second wedding in a row where they served pit beef as like the main dinner course, which was, was pretty cool. So there's hope, I think, for the world, you know. Um, we are going to do uh, communion today, uh, and if you didn't get a chance, there is a table in the back with uh, the elements on it. You can get that if, you, if you'd like. Uh, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches the hearts for what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is a short passage, uh, but it contains some pretty deep truths that I wanted to settle on for a while. Right now we are in a series called More Than Meets the Eye. Uh, it's an Easter, season, uh, Easter series season. Uh, dedicated to discussing the kind of life that we are invited into now in light of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus has been raised from the dead, so what does that mean? First of all, it means that there is, as Paul told us last week, there is, or two weeks ago, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For, for the Jesus follower, the resurrection means uh, nothing less than new creation. God raised Jesus from the dead, and likewise, he raises us from the dead. And as we've talked about before, uh, there is what we now call, there is also what we call a, um, a now and not yet quality to this hope. On, on one hand, we await the final resurrection that'll take place when Jesus sets up his eternal kingdom. At times, the, the writers of the New Testament talk about the, the intermediate state, basically what happens when we die. Jesus calls this paradise, but, but it's important to remember that the ultimate Christian hope is not one of like evacuation from this earth. It's been said that, that heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. You know, the final hope is cosmic reconciliation, the renewal of all things. So on one hand, that, that hasn't happened, right? Um, but here's the thing. We're invited to live into that hope not, uh, we're invited to live into that hope today. Our call isn't to just like sit back and talk about how great things will be one day in the distant future. No, 
our call is to love this world sacrificially. As it says in John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his son. Our, our call then as Jesus followers is to live into that hope today by embodying the gospel for the sake of the world. One of the most important aspects of being a Jesus follower is imitating God. Our God is a God of peace. He's the God of justice. He's the God of love and kindness and hope. These shouldn't just be words. They are to be markers of what it means to be the church in the here and now. New Hope Community Church is called to to follow our justice-loving, peacemaking God as we create a community that exists for our world. As we talked about last September, there, there are tons of things that the church has been against historically. You know, some for good reasons, like, you know, we're, we're, we're for reasons of love and justice, mostly for, for bad reasons, though, because of pride and fear. Instead, New Hope wants to be a church that is known for what, known by what we are for. We, we can even get, uh, we even have like magnets in the back that, that say that. <laughs> um, what are we for? We are for Catonsville. We are for Baltimore. We're for this world that God is in the process of renewing. We believe God is using his people to build for his kingdom, and we're following his lead on how to do that. That means that the things that bring God joy bring us joy. Uh, things like finding, um, like things like people finding their purpose and, and finding new life in Christ. That's why we celebrate things like communion and baptism, baby, ded- baby dedications. These are things that we celebrate. And when someone gives their life to Christ and comes out of that water a new person, it's something that we cheer for. And the things that bring God anger and sadness bring us anger and sadness. Things like injustice, oppression, poverty, and displacement. We want to learn more and more about how we can be a people advocating for the things like immigration reform and and refugee resettlement. As Christians, we no longer live uh, with ourselves at the center of our existence, right? Christians are to be people who live with Jesus as the center. We believe that Jesus was the most loving person that ever existed. He embodied holy love and holy kindness and holy justice. So so we want to follow his lead. What does that have to do with the passage? So the reason why, what what has to do with the passage is that um, the problem is that that's a whole lot easier said than done. You know, it's easy for me to, to talk about that kind of stuff up here, but the reason why I say it is because together, as a family, as a church community, we need to walk the walk. It's easy to see the areas where we feel that like we're not up to the challenge. That's what the passage about this morning. That's what our passage is about this morning. Just as God is reconciling the creation back to himself, um, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Please don't hear this as self-deprecation. I mean it as honesty, but I'm often struck by this, um, this voice that, that asks me kind of like, you know, what business do you have being a pastor of a church? You know, this voice tells me, you're not good enough. 
You can barely keep your own life together. What business do you have attempting to lead others in kingdom mission? See, sometimes those voices, you have those voices, sometimes those voices can help, they can get me down, they can get us down. I struggle with things like anxiety and depression that, that, that Carissa mentioned. But, but I can also attest to the truth that in those moments, I'm reminded of the fundamental goodness of God. I'm, fi- I'm, I'm, I'm re- reminded of the fundamental truth that God declares, this was never really about you. I mean, we all have responsibilities, or this was never all on you. I mean, we all have responsibilities, and God wants, us to re- wants to remind us of them. But the moment we fall for the lie that ultimate success and failure lies within our control, we have not only created an idol of ourselves, but we have lost the plot of building the kingdom, that building the kingdom was always God's work, and that we help Him with that work. You see, we don't build the kingdom. God does that. We build for the kingdom. Uh, We partner. We participate. We follow his lead. 1962, Bob Dylan released a song called Blowin' in the Wind. The song is this song is filled with, with rhetorical poetry. Um, and if you're the kind of person who, who likes like right angles and answers, then I'd imagine the song is kind of an exercise in patience. Um, there was an episode of The Simpsons uh, where, where Lisa's singing the song with her grandmother and Homer walks into the room and, and they sing, you know, how many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? And Homer responds, seven. And, you know, <laughs> and Lisa, you know, he, she explains, you know, the, the questions, Dad, it's rhetorical. And Homer says, oh, rhetorical, eh? Eight. <laughs> she says, Dad, do you even know what rhetorical means? And he says, do I know what rhetorical means? You got, some of you got that. Good. Anyway, listening to the song this week, um, it, it, it helped me understand today's passage. You know, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And when we don't know how to pray, when we don't know what to pray for as we ought uh, the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. So, how many years can a mountain exist before it's washed to the sea? How many years can some people exist before they are allowed to be free? How many times can a man turn his head and pretend that he just doesn't see? How many times can a man look up before he can see the sky? How many ears must one man have before he can hear people cry? How many deaths will it take till he knows that too many people have died? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. The word for spirit that Paul uses in Romans is the Greek word pneuma, which can refer to you know, a movement of wind, not like that. Um, the, the, the breeze, breeze, or the, you know, just like the wind itself, or even, or even breath. You know, we say in the creed that, that the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life. Our call is to, to live life in step with the Holy Spirit, who, according to Paul, intercedes for us in our weakness. And the reason I like this song is because it doesn't attempt to provide answers. It just lets the questions sit there and lets the questions speak for themselves if the answer is blowing in the wind, then, then our call is to not feel the weight of the world's problems on our shoulders, but instead follow the Spirit's lead in trust 
that God is about the business of redemption and reconciliation. He calls us to follow his lead, and sometimes asking good questions is the best first step at aligning our heart with God's. That doesn't mean that we ignore the world's problems. In fact, I think I think we can make the argument that the Christian has a greater responsibility to acknowledge the problems of the world because we are blessed to be a blessing. But the first step after acknowledging that there is a problem is knowing that God knew it was a problem long before you did. God was concerned about this long before we were, and long before we even existed, a plan was already in motion to solve it. The question then is, are you on his side? Are you participating in his solution? And then what we want to do is we want to say, well, God, what do you want me to do? You know, what, 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 I need to solve this and I see this problem and, I, and, I, and my anxiety, you know, builds up and, and I want to solve this problem and I want to just lament this problem, which is a good thing. Or, you know, I get depressed about the problem and I end up numbing and going to uh, just kind of going away and I want to get under the covers and I want to pretend this doesn't exist. But, but I'm always trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do about the problems of this world? And I love Micah 6.8 for this. God says, you know, uh, he's told you, oh, oh man, oh, oh mortal, you who have, you know, like what, 90 years on this earth? He's told you, oh man, oh mortal, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. God says, I've had a plan in motion to solve the world's problems long before you were even born. Your job is to embody my justice, kindness, and humility for a broken world. What's justice? Justice can be defined as loving others the way you love God, especially when they're weak. What's kindness? I love this definition of kindness. Kindness is loaning another person your strength when they're weak. What's humility? Humility is being honest with your own weaknesses, confessing your own weaknesses, and knowing that the best thing you can do is serve a cause greater than yourself. Justice, kindness, humility are, I I like calling them the Christian superpowers. Just watch what God will do through you when you practice them. Still, We can't ignore our weaknesses. This is not about ignoring weaknesses and pretending they don't exist. Paul himself struggled with such things. In the the previous passage, in Romans actually, in Romans 7, uh, Paul takes some time to lay out this internal struggle um, that keeps him awake at night. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates Paul's words. This is Paul. For I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide to do bad, but I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, they don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. 
Parts of me covertly rebel, Paul says. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. This is in the Bible. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, this is still Paul saying, talking, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. It's at that point. It is at that point in the book of Romans that Paul, then we turn the page and we see Paul says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Christianity, you see, is not about ignoring our weaknesses and pretending they don't exist. Christianity is about surrendering our weaknesses to his redeeming power. So again, how does Paul put that? By by telling us that in our weakness, when we don't even know how to pray as we ought, the Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. I mean, you ever feel like you come across a situation... Um, Do you ever feel like there are problems in this world that are just too deep for words? And you just groan inwardly, God, there's something not right with that. Do you ever feel like you come across a situation, it could be something in your life, or maybe it's something that's going on in the the news or around the world, and, and you know it's a problem, you know it's wrong, but you just don't quite understand all the facets of it because it seems too complicated for you to understand And something in the pit of your stomach is just saying, that's not right. We could look at this on a micro level. I mean, let's say you're like in line at McDonald's or something. And while you're waiting to give your order, someone comes up and kind of cuts in front of you and complains at the counter about their food being wrong. The customer is being a real jerk. And the person behind the counter, well, they just respond in kind. And then others get involved, and other customers start yelling at other employees, and the customers start yelling at each other. And then you notice there's a whole lot of tension behind the counter. And the next thing you know, there is this ugly shouting match over a Big Mac. The whole restaurant seems to now be on edge because of this incident. And you're next in line. So the person behind the counter now sees you and just kind of gives you an aggressive, like, next customer. Now, freeze frame for a moment in order to get some perspective. First of all, there is so much going on here that you don't see. You don't know anything about that angry customer, the sort of day they had, the sort of life they had. All you know is that they felt their order wasn't right and that they responded in a publicly angry way. You also don't know anything about the employee the sort of day that they had and the other things that had gotten them to the point of kind of snapping back at the customer who snapped at them. But let's just say for the sake of argument that the customer was justified in returning their food and the person behind the counter was justified in not wanting to be talked at with that level of disrespect. Now you're given a choice, right? As to how to act in response to this whole situation because now it appears that you are next in line. I don't know about you. This is not a hypothetical situation for me situations like this happen all the time. It's like, oh, another one. Maybe God wants me to learn a lesson. I don't know. But this is not just something that happens in fast food restaurants, friends. This problem that I just explained happens on different levels 
nationally and internationally. It happens in our homes. It happens in our governments. It happens at the dinner table. It happens at the Little League game. It happens in offices and grocery stores. It happens on large scales and small scales. It happens with nations against nations with the consequences having generational impact. The reason why justice and kindness and humility are such important practices for those of us who are in Christ is because the world is full of opportunities for injustice, hate, and pride. Don't be surprised when you run into them in the wild. The problems facing our world are the problems described in in Dylan's song. Most of you, most likely you and I won't experience the full answer to them in our lifetime. They, they They are a seemingly eternal struggle. And I say seemingly though, because all problems are answerable to God, you know. Um, our job, though, is to face them. Our, our, job, uh, our job in the face of them is to do justice, love kindness, and practice humility. Embrace God's shalom for the world. Embrace God's peace. Our job as a church is to be the sort of community that is known by what we are for rather than what we are against. And what we are for is love and joy and peace. It's for patience. We're for kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control in the face of that situation. And how do we respond? How do we, how do we respond in step with the Spirit who is interceding for, with us, uh, for us with groanings too deep for words? How do we respond? What do we know? We'll, we'll maybe respond with kindness. Maybe we respond by stepping forward and <sighs> taking a deep breath and being kind to the person behind the counter, even though maybe they weren't all that kind to you. That's how we know we're in step with the Spirit. Our job is to practice those things, justice, kindness, humility, practice those things in such a way that the world around, around us, they, sees us, they see us doing them, and then they give glory to God. Because eventually somebody's going to ask us, why do you do the things you do? Why? Why do you care? Why do you care? I care about them because Jesus first cared about me. And then we let God do the rest because we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. To be truly on God's side and live with Jesus at the center by the power of the Holy Spirit, it takes a death. It takes a death to self. It takes a death to us taking ourself off the throne and inviting Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. But as Paul says, if we are crucified along with Jesus, we also share in his resurrection. If we share in his death, we'll also share in his new life. And that is why we're going to take communion right now. Earlier in Romans, Paul tells us this. He says, for while we were still weak, In our weakness, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, while we were still weak, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's the thing, right? With God, we have received that reconciliation, um, and so now we are to embody God's reconciliation for the world by doing justice and loving kindness and walking in humility. That's what this is all about. We are placing something else. We are placing Jesus' redeeming, reconciling love at the center of our hearts. So what I'd like to do right now is, before we take communion, we, we say the Nicene Creed. Um, and the Nicene Creed is, a, is, a, is basically our doctrinal statement, a new hope. It describes what it is we believe in and kind of it's the shape of our, of our mission, vision, values, what you, you, might, you might say. So... Um, Uh, It's going to be up on the screen, but if you would join us, you could please stand as we read the Nicene Creed. This is what we believe. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and an earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Rather than um, uh, having a, a full song, I wonder if you guys would just play a little bit as we, you guys can have a seat. Um, as we just spend a, just, a, just a minute or two in um, just prayer. Pray, pray about those words, those words that like, like justice and kindness um, and humility. Play about, pray about how we're responding to that and pray about this idea that, that Jesus is at the center, not, not you. Just take a few minutes with God.
Jesus, or Matthew tells us in his gospel that on the night he was betrayed, in his disciples' weakness, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples in their weakness and said, take and eat. This, this is my body broken for you. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Even so, come Lord Jesus.